Well, we are uh, in uh, the last installment of our series, Living in Expectation, a series that uh, focuses in on expecting the coming, the waiting of the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the uh, town of Bethlehem. We've talked about uh, the prophets and their expectation towards the coming king. We looked at Isaiah chapter 9, talking about unto us a son is born. And talking about that he would be a wonderful counselor, a prince of peace, a mighty God and an everlasting father. And then we spent some time focusing in on uh, the angels and their response to the Christmas season. And then last week Dave shared with us uh, the idea of what the shepherd's response uh, to the coming king was like. And, and, and Luke's uh, words uh, from chapter 2 of that great gospel speaking that they went and glorified and praised God. Well, this last week, I want to focus on one other group of people. And this group is a little different than all the other groups, for this group would travel the farthest uh, to be uh, a part of the Christmas story. They say that these days coming up to the Christmas season are some of the most traveled uh, days of the holiday season. It was uh, kind of neat. Usually uh, uh, during this time, they'll show the map of the continental U.S. and all the planes that are in the air at this time. And you can't even see the map of the U.S. It was neat yesterday watching CNN that uh, the three-quarters of the the three-quarter western side of the uh, United States was filled with planes last night. And everything up and down the eastern seaboard, because of 24 inches of snow, you could see it as clear as day. Not a plane. They had closed down everything. People are traveling during this time of the season. They're traveling and they're going to their various activities. In many ways, they play the part of the wise men coming from afar uh, to be a part of a Christmas celebration. Now, I could talk about the idea of traveling, but the idea that I want to uh, lay before you this morning is the idea that the wise men were on a search. They were searching for something. And while Christmas is a time of expectation and while Christmas is a time of travel, I think the biggest thing that Christmas is, is a time for searching. It seems that in our world today, both followers of Christ and those who don't attest Christ as their Savior seem to be searching for something. You go to the malls or to the department stores and you'll find people searching for just the right gift. The gift that will change the life of the one uh, whom they are wanting to give this gift to. For others, the time of, of the season is searching for uh, the right food or, or entree to serve at the big Christmas celebration. Will it be a standing rib roast? Will it be a ham? Or, or will it be a turkey? Looking for just the right food that will make everyone happy and excited to be a part of your Christmas celebration. There are still others that are looking uh, for love. I learned on the internet this week that eHarmony has more hits during the Christmas season than any other time of the year. People are looking for love. Maybe it's a part of being alone during the holidays that that maybe strikes in the heart of the people to search for that one that they can enjoy life with and all the celebrations that come. And still there are others who are looking uh, for work. Uh, This is a time where we find ourselves in in, in some real economic hardships. And there are more people now than ever before in the United States unemployed and looking for a job. We live in a time of searching. But more than that, I think that there is a time of searching going on in the hearts of people. 
Every Christmas comes around, and as it does, the question of Jesus comes up. Because we begin to hear the carols on the radio station, the one that usually just plays the regular pop music, all of a sudden now is speaking about God incarnate, about God being one of us, of Emmanuel, of the shepherds singing glory to God in the highest. It's a time where both secular and Christian alike are able to hear the message of Jesus. The question this morning is, what are you searching for? What are you looking for? What are you in an all-out pursuit going far and wide to find the answer to your problem? For some today, it's a, it's an issue of the heart. Or maybe you've tried to live life on your own. You've tried to pursue happiness and joy on your own. And you've never been able to make it work. You, like many Americans who, who celebrate the season of Christmas and are all excited about the day, that day that with great expectation they've been looking towards, that after the food has been eaten, after the tree has been ransacked and every gift underneath it has been ripped open, after the family has left and the school holiday is over, you're back to the same place you were before. You see, what we're going to learn today from the wise men is they didn't look for anything other than the true meaning of Christmas. They didn't pursue anything else. Now, they could have been distracted. They traveled a long way uh, across many different lands. And yet their focus was always on getting to Jesus. Can I tell you something this morning? No matter where you're at, no matter what you're searching for, your answer above all is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. Search for Jesus. Because we're going to learn that as the wise men search for this Savior, as they pursued Him, they found great joy and great peace during that first Christmas season. I would ask that you would take your Bibles and open so we can understand what God's Word says about this great story to Matthew chapter 2. The first book of the New Testament we find in the second chapter of Matthew the story of the visit of the Magi, or the wise men. And I'd ask as you turn to Matthew chapter 2 that you would stand as we read God's Word. And then we'll ask God's blessing on it as we uh, learn from His Word this morning. This is what Matthew writes in his Gospel. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But in you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. 
After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Father God, we come before you. And Father, we too, just like the wise men, are searching. For some, we are searching for the redemption of our souls. For others, we are searching to know you more and to pursue you with all our hearts and mind and our strength. And Father, I pray that we, just as the wise men did, would make it our only pursuit in life to find you, to find you and to know you, to be known by you. Lord, we have much to learn about you, things that will take us a whole life's journey to know and understand. But we are so thankful that you give us the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I thank you that with the Holy Spirit, he guides us in all truth and leads us to understanding. Father, I pray today, if there is anyone who has never trusted you as their Savior, who has found themselves searching for all the answers and yet in all the wrong places, would today, just as the wise men did, bow their knee to Jesus. For Lord, that is what we were created for, to worship and adore you. Father, thank you for your word and all that it teaches us. Enlighten our hearts and our mind this morning. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. You may be seated. If we want to find what we're looking for this Christmas, then we have to turn to the only answer that we are given. Jesus. If we want to be like the wise men, we have to follow the wise men's example. And so to do that, the first thing I want to bring to your attention this morning is we must revisit something. As, as a congregation, if we desire to follow Jesus, we must revisit the details of a famous journey. We must revisit the details of a famous journey. Now, why would we have to do that? Now, most everybody here, I'm sure, knows the story of the wise men. We're so thankful for the song by John Hopkins Jr. who says, We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we travel so far, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. We've sung that, whether again we're a follower of Christ, we've heard that song sung, where the chorus rings out, star of wonder, star of light, star of royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. If you like that song, I'm going to tell you that there's a lot of poetic license with those lyrics. And we have to look to the famous journey that is recorded in Matthew's Gospel to understand what was going on. The first thing we need to understand about this and we have to correct when it comes to this journey is that we we don't know that there are three kings. Even though John Hopkins Jr. says we three kings, 
We don't know that there were three. The reason why we believe that there were three, it's a good speculation, was the three gifts that were given. There could have been 10, there could have been 12, there could have been a 1,000 for all we know. But all we do know is that there are three gifts given, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The next thing we need to understand is that we don't know them to be kings. The word that is translated is a uh, Median Persian name, uh, a word uh, called magos, where we get the word magic from, magician, magi. But even that word probably isn't most correctly understood until we go back to the etymology of the Median Persian understanding of what the Magi were. These were aristocrats. These were uh, scholars of their day. They were people that were advisors uh, to uh, a king. We see this in the book of Daniel when Daniel uh, in a season of time is with the Medes serving under a king as one of the advisors one of the sages, one of the wise men who would, in confidence, speak to the king. Uh, They weren't kings. They were advisors to the king. The next thing we need to help John Hopkins understand is that not only were they not three that we understand to be, nor do we think that they were kings, we learn that they probably weren't from the Orient. We three kings of Orient are. Uh, now, Orient's a good speculation because it says they came from the east. And, and from Bethlehem, uh, traveling east, is you're going to eventually get to Asia and the Orient. And so it's as good of a guess as any. But it seems more likely from historians that these uh, magi came from the Babylonian and Persian empires about halfway in the journey uh, to the Orient. And we need to understand this because like many of the Christmas stories, if we assume what others have told us about it, many times we will miss the true understanding of the song. Now, it doesn't mean you don't sing, We Three Kings of Orientar, but now you know the rest of the story. Why would they travel so far? Why would they find themselves on a journey? Well, even as we revisit this journey that they were a part of, we need to understand, just like in the story, one of the uh, poetic licenses of the nativity story, and it works well for Hollywood, is that the wise men show up about 20 minutes after the shepherds. And there's a big party going on in the manger. Mary's just had the baby. She's got her makeup on and she's ready for guests. The shepherds show up because they had seen a a company of angels and they had been told to go there. And not too long after, had one of the kings or one of the wise men done what the uh, gas station attendant had told them, turn left on the Bethlehem freeway, they would have gotten there just in time, but they were about 20 minutes late. The scriptures don't tell us that. Now, it doesn't tell us when the wise men got there. All it says are a couple of things that we need to understand. Number one, uh, it says that they came to a house, not a stable, not a cave or, or around a manger, but they came to a house. That tells us that this is at a uh, different time. We know from the gospel writers that uh, the baby was born in a manger, in a, in a cattle trough where cattle and livestock were held. The next thing it tells us, uh, I believe it's in uh, verse uh, 10, is it said, or verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child. 
That word there, child, in the Greek doesn't speak of a little baby. We have a newborn baby here in the Oren family, and it's a tiny little baby, a little baby girl. I was telling uh, her dad that, how can an ugly dad have such beautiful babies? You're not supposed to say that from the pulpit, but with Josh, I can. Beautiful little baby. But that's not what the writer is telling us. Matthew says it's a child. This this word child literally means a little boy, like a toddler. One of those little badal rugrats running around. Probably uh, two or three years of age. And they come and they worship. And so we have this idea that it's not happening in the Christmas story, but some while after. It seems that he would come and they would come and they would worship him and speak about him. And so the order that we get of the New Testament story is the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, where Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He then would be circumcised on the eighth day. And then sometime after the month of purification, Joseph would take his wife Mary and they would travel to Jerusalem where he would meet Simeon and Anna. And then there would be some time some time for the family to get oriented with one another and to build a uh, a manageable home so that then the wise men would then come sometime after. This is the visit that we celebrate this morning. They come to Bethlehem. But what would cause the wise men to travel that far? How far uh, would you go to travel for something that you've only seen a star in the sky? Well, they were looking, it says, notice verse 1. The reason why they would travel so far was because they were looking for the one who was going to be the king of the Jew. They said, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. What would make them travel all that way for a king? And we see that they say, hey, there's this king, but he's going to be the king of the Jews. What kind of thing would give them such expectation to go so far to see this baby that was born? You have to understand the historical context at the time. It was a time of great expectation, not just in the lives of the God-fearing Jews of that day, but historians, secular uh, historians would say that it was a time of great expectation. The great Roman historian Sunatanes says this, it was a time where word was all over the Middle East that a ruler was coming from the land of Judea. Another famous historian from Rome, Tacitus, said this, he said that there was a coming king who would rule the world from Jerusalem. Now these aren't followers of Jesus. These are just men that were writing the history. Of course, the famous historian Josephus says that the Jews had given a widespread belief that in their life they would see one who would come from them to be the governor of the entire habitable world. There was this sense. There was this feeling. Whether it was because of the prophets or what they saw going on in their day, that it was time for Messiah to come. And Christians and non-Christians alike could feel this tension of time coming. We know that God had it all planned. Galatians 4.4 says that when the time had fully come, God sent His Son to Bethlehem. 
Well, what do we need to understand about this? I want you to notice, first of all, the certain goal that they had on this journey. What did they do? Why did they travel so far? They traveled, it says, to see a king. They had a goal to see the king. Now, if it stopped there, it would just simply be a meet and greet. Kind of an open house, if you will. Come and shake some hands, drink some eggnog and punch, and then be on your way. They would kind of have been like those uh, that couple from that reality show that barged in on the White House party, just wanting to get their picture with some famous people. So here the wise men come, and they come just to visit with the newborn king, just to hang out with him for a little bit. Put it on their Facebook that they were there, and it shook hands with baby Jesus. But that's not what it says. It says that they've come. Notice what it says in verse 1. After he had been born, the Magi come. And in verse 2, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw, saw his star in the east and have come to, help me out, worship him. Their number one goal, the reason why they traveled so far, was to worship this Jesus. Oh, how Christmas would be so much different if we would be like the wise men. If our number one goal in this season wasn't about gifts, it wasn't about a tree, it wasn't about a big fat guy in a red coat, not talking about me wearing red, it's not about the food, it's not about the cookies, it's not even about the family, but the reason why we celebrate this season is because of Jesus, because we worship him. We travel so far We do all that we can for an opportunity to stand before Jesus and worship Him as Lord and as Savior. The reason why they traveled, they had a goal in mind. It was not just to have Jesus be warm and cozy with them, just to have an interaction with them. Like so many of us desire, Jesus is that little time uh, in this whole season where maybe we get together and do one little thing that Jesus is a part of. Christmas is all about Jesus. And the other things, as great as they are, as fun as they are, should find themselves centered around Jesus Christ. Your party should honor Jesus Christ. Your gifts should honor Jesus Christ. Your celebration should honor and worship Jesus Christ. When your family and friends come to your home, uh, they should be hearing songs about Jesus Christ. That's all right. White Christmas is okay. I'll be home for Christmas is all right. But let's never forget the season is about Jesus and us worshiping him. That's their certain goal. Notice the next thing I see in the text is that this this journey involved two convincing guides. Not only was there a certain goal, but there were two convincing guides. What would make them travel so far? The first thing we see, write this down, is a star. It says we saw his star. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before, uh, but that's added uh, to the star. It's not just a star in the east that is seen, but it's his star. We have no idea how the Magi knew that this star symbolized the coming of the Messiah, but they did. Somehow they were revealed, whether it was by angels, the, the writer does not say. Now, there's been a lot of speculation on uh, what this star was. 
Historians say that there was a, a time where Jupiter and Saturn connected in one great star um, around that time, about 4 B.C., and they say that's what it was. The star was Jupiter and Saturn coming together to create this, uh, if you will, lunar, uh, amazing star that would take place. The next one say it was a meteor. That it just happened that a meteor would be flying by the orbit of the earth. I agree with John MacArthur who says that it is the remnants of the glory that are revealed in Luke chapter 2. Turn there for a moment, Luke chapter 2. It was read for us, I believe, this morning. Luke chapter 2. What, what could that star have been? Notice at verse 8. I think we're shared with, we, we get shared some things. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now notice what it says in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to whom his favor rests. The glory of the Lord. John MacArthur spent some time in one of his uh, commentaries speaking that the glory of the Lord, he believes, just resonated over the city of Bethlehem. When God shows up, light comes and becomes a key part in the story. And I wonder if that's what they saw. Whatever the star was, being the glory of the Lord or some cosmic occurrence, we know that the wise men get on their camels and start heading to see this, knowing that they are going to find the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But notice the next guide that is given. Matthew chapter 2 tells us they come to Jerusalem. And as they come to Jerusalem, they would go to where a king would be. Jerusalem, the capital city of all of Judea, would be the place where the king would reside. And so they no doubt go to the major metropolitan area. They're in the vicinity, only some uh, 10 miles away from Bethlehem. And what happens? They go and they find the king. Well, that would be the smart thing to do. If you want to find the newborn king, you would go to the place where royalty is found. Now, the thing that's amazing is, is I wonder what that conversation was like between Herod and the wise men. Here they come, wise men from the east, dignitaries, and they say, we've come to worship your king. And Herod says, here I am. They say, I don't think so. I don't think you're the one. And that begins to spark a conversation in the throne room well where is this king to be born notice what the text says herod brings his chief priests and teachers of the law and he asks in verse four where was the christ that is the messiah to be born they answer correctly in bethlehem in judea for this is what the prophet has written 
And they quote Micah the prophet, chapter 5, starting in verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. The wise men say, all right, it isn't in Jerusalem. And the scripture guides them to a little backdoor community called Bethlehem. So that's where they go. The scripture guides them to where they need to find Jesus. Now I want you to understand something very important this morning. God gives us signs so many times. And he may not give us cosmic occurrences, but he gives us signs. But the greatest way that God communicates, because signs can be misunderstood. Signs can lead us maybe to an understanding of God, but not all the time to knowing who Jesus is. Notice that the sign for the wise men got them close to Jesus, but not to Jesus. That's why Jesus says, hey, don't rely on signs. Don't just stop there. But what gets them to Bethlehem? The scripture. Understand this. If you are searching for Jesus today, don't follow a preacher. Don't follow uh, words from other men, but follow the scriptures. Because it will guide you. The scriptures will always guide you right to Jesus. It leads you right there. I love what one of the scriptures says, that when we search for him, we will find him when we search with all our heart. For some who are wandering today, you're searching, and you've been trying to find Jesus, and looking for Jesus in all the wrong places, and coming up empty, maybe coming up with just a little uh, in the vicinity of where Jesus is at. Open God's Word. Start in the Gospel of John, and you will see Jesus, the Son of God. And this Bible will lead you right to where you need to be. It led them to to Jesus in Bethlehem. The second thing I want you to see is that if we desire to find what we're looking for this Christmas, we must reflect a godly display of fervent joy. You would think that a, a long journey, they would be ready to give up. Now, one thing we don't hear from the wise men is that they didn't bring their children. That was a wise decision. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Dad, I have to go to the bathroom. Dad, he keeps touching me. Dad, tell him to stop looking at me. And I could just see one of the wise men saying, I'm going to turn this camel around. You just watch. (laughs) So they were wise. They didn't bring their family. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. I'll tell you when we'll get out of the car. That's when we're there. Sorry, just a little anger issue. They're filled with joy, it says. But before we get there, we don't see joy. But write down in your outlines, you don't see joy, but you see jealousy. You see jealousy. Just write that somewhere. It's not in your outlines, but it's important. Verses 3 through 8. Notice what happens. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. So he calls together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. They find out where it's at. It's going to be in Bethlehem, just as the prophet Micah says in verse 6. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time 
the star had appeared. Tell me, when did you see it in the sky? When did it come? And then he says, go to Bethlehem and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Now the text tells us in verse 12 that they would be warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And they returned to their country by another route. Why would they do that? Because these were wise men. They understood that the king had different intentions. We know that the scripture tells us later in this chapter that an angel would come to Joseph and tell him to leave and to head to Egypt. Why? Because Herod was coming with his men. And it was a decree that was given that every child, male child, two years and younger would die. Herod was jealous. We know much about Herod from history. Secular historians tell us that Herod was a cruel man. That he killed his wife and three sons because he had become paranoid that they were pursuing his crown. This was a man who gave no love or concern for anybody but himself. That he would do all that he had to to hold his place of authority. And so imagine in that context, wise men coming, traveling afar, not to come and see him, the king of Judea, but to see a baby who was born in a place called Bethlehem. Herod is jealous. It says, notice in the text, it says in verse 3, when he heard this, he was disturbed. This idea of disturbed in the Greek is greatly agitated. The idea here is he is freaked out. He is concerned. He doesn't understand how a baby with no royal blood can be the king. And he says, I'm going to get rid of him. I'll do all that I can to rid myself and my people of him. And you say, well, why would you bring this up under the context of displaying fervent joy? Because there's a choice this Christmas that can be made. You see, we come in contact with Jesus. Herod is brought to understand Jesus and a choice is made. And the choice is made today for you. When you come and encounter Jesus, you have two responses. One can be of jealousy. You can say, Jesus, I don't want Jesus. Who is Jesus that he can tell me what to do? Who is Jesus that I must bow the knee to him? Who is this baby that tells me that he is the Lord and Savior of my life? Who is this Jesus? I don't want this Jesus. I'm king. I'm ruler. I'm the one that makes the plans. I'm the one that sets forth the decrees. Don't tell me about any Jesus. And many this Christmas... And some, even in this place today, are thinking in their hearts, I don't need Jesus. I don't want Jesus. I'm king. I'm number one. But notice what the wise men do. It's funny, they don't spend a whole lot of time, it seems, with, with Herod. It seems like it's kind of just a, a uh, dead end with him. He's troubled, he's unsettled, and you never want to stay at someone's house that is unsettled or troubled. And so they move on. And now notice what the text says. They, they go on, it says, After they heard the king, they went on their way. 
And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now notice what it says. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Here's the joy. You see, when you turn your heart from Jesus, I'm going to tell you something that will be a bit offensive. I believe in all my heart you will be troubled. Oh, you may live an okay life. You may find yourself at times being happy. But I believe in my heart that if you turn from Jesus, there will be a part of you always yearning for something else. Isn't that what God told, or Christ told Paul? We learned about that last week. Why are you kicking at the goads? It was eating at Saul. It was eating at him that he had turned his back on Jesus. And I believe just like Saul, we too will find ourselves kicking at those goads until we bow the knee. But when we bow the knee to Jesus, we are overjoyed. Notice what the text says. It says that this joy was harmonious. There was a harmonious joy. You say, well, what do you mean by that, Tim? Notice that this isn't something that is done singularly. It says, they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east stopped. When they saw the star, they were all overjoyed. They had traveled, all of them. They had been a part of the burden of going so far. And they see the star and they're overjoyed. The, the, the roadmap continues, doesn't leave them in a fog or in a daze, but it's going to lead them right where they need to go. And they're overjoyed. I, I, I wonder uh, what that must have looked like, three overjoyed men, if you will, kings of Orientar, just overjoyed. And then I think about us as believers and how our joy should be harmonious. Because no matter where we're from, no matter what our lives have been a part of, we all can look at Jesus and we can all say, there he is. And our hearts should be overjoyed. The reason why we worship every Sunday is because we're filled with joy to go and worship this Jesus We come from all places, and in one voice, we point to Jesus and say, there is our Lord, there is our Savior. But notice, not only is it harmonious, but it takes them to new heights. It takes them to new heights. This joy is so amazing. The text in the NIV says they were overjoyed. Literally, what it means is not that they were just overjoyed, but that they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. The idea here is to convey with the strongest language a picture of exuberant transport. This word was used in the Greek to speak of an adult who becomes like a child. Some of you are like that around a Christmas tree. Oh, goody, goody, goody. Woohoo! That's not that kind of joy. This is used to speak that they lost all composure. So imagine with me, three wise men running like little children. Woohoo! Hey! Oh, oh, there's the star! Woo! You're not going to see that done again. They're overjoyed. Who cares about the journey? 
Who cares about that dumb, dumb named Herod? We found the star. And it's going to lead us right there. All that we've been journeying for, all that we've been pursuing is going to come to pass. And the question I have for us as believers is, do we experience that joy? How overjoyed are we that we can celebrate Jesus? That we can worship Jesus? Is there a part of you that loses composure at the thought of Jesus? And you sit there and say, I'm a sinner. I deserve nothing but hell. And Jesus came and he was one of us and he took on flesh to be just like us so that he could die my death, take my place, spill my blood, that I would no longer be a sinner dead in my trespasses and sin, but that I would be a child of his. Do you lose composure? As a man, does that grip your heart that you begin to tremble in your voice and say, I am his? And he is mine? These wise men got it right. And it took them to new heights of joy. Number three. You want to find what you're looking for this Christmas? Respond with a singular devotion and fidelity to Jesus. These wise men, they've traveled. They find what they're looking for. Notice what it says. I'm coming to the house in verse 11. They saw the child with his mother Mary... And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. How do they respond? I want you to notice, first of all, the environment. Because this is of great importance. I always ask the question uh, when I preach sermons that I've already preached before. Lord, are you going to teach me something new? This is something new that I'd never thought about before. But notice and write down in your outlines the environment that they come to. Now remember, they had just been in Jerusalem, the city where all the political power was at. And now they go to a place called Bethlehem, a a backwoods town, a no-name town, only known to be the birthplace some hundreds of years ago for a king that had served. Not a well-known place. I'm sure not that great of a place. It was a place where shepherds were. So some sort of agricultural uh, type uh, hometown. Probably a lot like my own hometown of Hinkley. You know, a little post office and, and probably a couple taverns like most little towns have. A little market, but nothing great. Nothing like Jerusalem. Notice what it says next. They come to a house. Not a palace, not a mansion. Matthew just says a house. Then think about this. He says he sees a child. They come and they see a child. Notice that nothing is said about his looks. Nothing is said about his intellect. It's just a child. And then he says, and he's with his mother. And his mother isn't anything great. You don't see any kind of worship of the mother of Jesus. And I began to think about that. And I said, what Matthew, I believe, is articulating to us, and I may be wrong, but I think it works, is the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was just like 
us. The wise men could be right. I'm sorry, Matthew could be writing uh, and he could be looking at the Bedal home in Hinkley and coming to the house and seeing Amanda, the mother and a baby there. It's no different. He came to a house and there's mom and baby. Nothing about the kid, nothing about the mom, nothing about the house, just plain run-of-the-mill people. Jesus became one of us. Jesus left every throne in heaven so that he could be just like us. He had a mom, he had a house. He was a little kid. And yet I think the reason why we need to absorb this understanding of the humanity of Christ is this is what trips us up. How can God be a child? How can I worship this God, Jesus, when he's just like me? How can I worship and adore the eternal God when he puts on skin? When he has a mom and a dad? And he lives in a house, not a palace or a mansion, just a house. And for many here today, you are tripped up on the person of Jesus Christ because he's just like you. And yet I would say, because he's just like you, he understands everything that you need and everything that concerns you today. Notice the expression that is given. Verse 11, it says that they come to the house and notice their first, their bowing position. It says they bowed. To bow literally means to show your allegiance, to pay homage to one greater than you. This literally meant in the Greek that they fell down flat on their face. I think it's a glaring omission in our text that there's no mention of bowing when it comes to Herod. You ever seen that? It says that they bowed for Herod. That must have really freaked him out. You know, you're not the one we're to bow to. But they bow before a child. They fall down and they worship him as both king and as God. Next, they give bountiful gifts. Three gifts are given. Our text says gold, frankincense or incense and myrrh. Gold, the finest of all and most valuable of all commodities. One that would stand superior to all the rest. Foreign dignitaries would give gold to a dominating king to say, you are the greatest. You are as good as gold. You are the best of the best. While there are many precious stones and metals in the world, gold is the greatest and is given to the king of kings. Frankincense, a pure white incense, was used in first century time to celebrate. It was so expensive, it would be used to celebrate uh, the priest who had committed his life to the service of God. A celebration would be done for that priest. And when that priest was celebrated, they would burn frankincense as a fragrant offering to God. That this life was a fragrant offering. So it was used to celebrate a devout priest. And myrrh was an ointment that was used to embalm the dead, to perfume the dead. All of these signify that he is king of kings. And that he is our priest who is devoted to his father in heaven. And finally, it foreshadows the coming of his death. Three gifts. Let me ask you this question this morning. Have you bowed to Jesus? 
Are you worshiping other things this Christmas? Are there things you're longing to see this Christmas more than Jesus? Because when you come face to face with Jesus, you'll know if you are worshiping Jesus because the only response you will have is to give of yourselves to Jesus. You want to know if you're worshiping Jesus this Christmas? The question must be asked, what have you given? These were rare commodities, priceless commodities. They gave of their treasure to Jesus. Have you? Let me close by giving just a set of questions that I want you to ponder. Have you found the Christ this Christmas? Are you worshiping him? Is there an ongoing joy since you have found him? What's your posture before this Jesus? Do you stand in defiance to him or do you bow in deference to him? And finally, what will you give him? What are you going to give him? Can I tell you gold isn't good enough? Sacrifices aren't good enough? But the scriptures say a humble and contrite heart is what God desires. Have you given him your heart this morning? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you came and were one of us. Lord, I pray that if there's one in this place today that has never trusted you as their Savior, that today would be the day. That they would worship you. And that they wouldn't look in their pockets or look on store shelves to find a gift worthy of your coming. But as you said, you desire our hearts. Father, I pray that the one who does not know you today would give their heart. The Father, before they leave this place, they would come and speak to me. They would speak to one at the Welcome Center. They would find the person sitting next to them and say, help me find what I'm looking for. Lord, I pray for those that already know you that they would worship and adore you. That with joy in their hearts, they would be taken to new heights because they are saved by grace. And they, just like the shepherds, would go and tell all that they know and all that they come in contact with that you have brought peace on earth and that you are the Savior of men. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would worship and adore you. That, Lord, that we would adore you with everything that we have and all that we are.